Insane Transformation Podcast, helping executives and consultants idiot-proof their workplace, one innovation at a time. Stuff, I tell you, genius is hard work, stick-to-itiveness, and common sense. That's Edison. Stick-to-itiveness. What, what, what does stick-to-itiveness mean? What, what does stick-to-itiveness mean in regards to what we're talking about on this podcast with innovation and invention and experimentation? Industry level first. Global first. What, what do you think stick-to-itiveness means in terms of a number? If you put a number against something, what what number would you have to get to to say, yep, yeah, that is definitely stick to That's a great example of stick to How many attempts, how, how many runs would you or your team or your organization have to make at a problem to come up with that? future state or maybe that ideal state or that discovery that's going to give you a market advantage that's going to last for the next hundred years or maybe with the rate of growth now maybe it's only 10 years but what's the number what number would you put on it if I asked you if you had a stick-to-itive team if this was one of the core characteristics of your team what what number would you put on it so you know, Mrs. Jane, how many attempts has your team made to solve this problem? 20 attempts? Is that, is that a good example of stick-to-itiveness? 100 attempts? I, I don't know many organizations that go into the double digits. I mean, pe- period. But most don't make it out of the single digits. And they spend a lot of time compromising and making trade-offs rather than pushing for a new discovery or a new groundbreaking solution that's actually going to deliver an industry first. Universities are good at this, producing knowledge. As long as the money's there, the funding is there, they can continue to effort after this, hundreds of attempts, thousands of attempts. But in business, very few companies do this. There are a couple that come to my mind, technology companies that do this pretty well, but very few. But what is that number? And, and what should the number be? I mean, how many attempts should we be willing to make before we throw the towel in and say, look, we're just not going to we're not going to come up with a solution for this. When we're talking about discovery. That's, that's the pinnacle of the triangle. That's the top of the triangle. Genrich Altschuler used to call this a level five problem. You're solving a level five problem. 
And his, his estimate was that it would take you 10,000 attempts plus. 10,000 attempts. That's a lot of attempts. That's a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of people recording a heck of a lot of experiments. Each experiment with its own type of manipulation. I used to hear a lot in the early days people talking about the light bulb and Edison. Edison was, he was a brilliant inventor, but I think what helped make him a brilliant inventor was that he was a very, very dedicated experimenter. And he would experiment and experiment and experiment. And oftentimes we've heard this number 10,000 attempts attributed to Edison in his work around discovering the light bulb. Whether or not he discovered it, that's a different conversation. But he's definitely the one that got it to work, isn't he? Did some research on that. Found out with respect to the light bulb, eh, that 10,000 number that we had or that typically gets thrown around, that's it's not quite accurate. It's still a very high number. There was an interview that Edison did. This goes all the way back to 1890. There was an interview that Edison did in a Harper's Monthly magazine. And uh, I'll read this for you just so you can hear what he says. But he gives, he gives a number here. This is not the number of experiments. It's the number of theories. But he gives a number here. And let's, let's let that number detonate in your mind for a second about the number of attempts required to make something work. He said, I speak without exaggeration when I say that I've constructed 3,000 different theories in connection with the electric light, each one of them reasonable and apparently to be true. Yet only in two cases did my experiments prove the truth of my theory. My chief difficulty, as perhaps you know, was in constructing the carbon filament, the incandescence of which is the source of light. Every quarter of the globe was ransacked by my agents, and all sorts of the queerest materials were used, until finally the shred of bamboo, now utilized, was settled upon. Even now, Mr. Edison continued, I'm still at work nearly every day on the lamp, and quite lately I've devised a method of supplying sufficient current to 15 lamps with one horsepower. So 3,000 is the number he throws out. One of his lab staff came back and said that the number of experiments they'd recorded against this was 2,700 plus experiments. So 3,000 theories, 2,700 experiments. That's a heck of a lot of experiments. Almost 3,000. That 10,000 number that people often hear about or think about, I think was actually attributed to his work on the battery. He was doing quite a, quite a few battery experiments. And this actually came out of a, another book, which was essentially his, his biography. It was the, um, the Dyer and Martin version of his life and, uh, and inventions. But in, in that book, they, they talk about the number of experiments. Now, this is not theories. This is experiments, the count. What is the count of experiments that were run to solve this battery problem? And, and what one of the staff says is that they, they used to record experiments from 
number one to number 10,000. And when they hit 10,000, they started back over at one. <laughs> and he says with the battery, they spent almost five circuits or five series of attempts. Well, that's, that's almost 50,000 experiments to solve the battery problem. 50,000. I mean, th that should shake the foundation of what's happening in business today. Back to that question about stick-to-itiveness. What is stick-to-itiveness in business? And if you could put a number against it, if you could put a count against it, uh, you know, would you, would you ever think to hear about a CEO or CFO or leadership team, a COO, really getting on the bandwagon here and saying, yep, we expect this will take, who knows, it could take 50,000 attempts, but we're willing to go the distance here. We've got stick-to-itiveness. We want to make this discovery. We want to come up with this solution, this industry-first solution. It doesn't, it doesn't really happen much. And it's, it's a, a shortcut that a lot of organizations like to take. And do you know what that shortcut is? The large companies don't necessarily spend a lot of time here. They don't want to exhaust the resources and go through all those trial and error attempts. So they're very good at acquisitions, buying up small companies. What I find with small startups, you got a, you got a founder team of a couple of folks. They're usually bootstrapping. Bootstrapping means they're just paying they're paying for the business. They're running the business out of their own pocket. You know, maybe they took out a second on the house. Maybe they've got some family money coming in. But they're funding it themselves. So these small founder teams are bootstrapping. And they're going through all of these trial and error attempts to come up with a solution to some problem in the market. And then, of course, you know, maybe there's some VC money that comes in later down the track. Or maybe they get bought up. Maybe there's an angel investor. Right, an angel investor, just a wealthy individual that's, or it could be a conglomerate, a group of people that's willing to put some money into this idea or this founder team. Okay. So maybe that angel comes along and, and funds them and lets them continue these trial and error expense, uh, trial and error attempts. And then eventually, when they get that solution, if they get it, they get bought out. It's a big shortcut we take now in business. But not many large organizations have the team set up and the environment set up for real test and learn, real experimentation. They don't have the attention span and they don't have the stick-to-itiveness to solve problems. Most of the time what they find themselves doing within those organizations are copying and pasting solutions that other people have come up with. Now, that's not a real long-lasting market advantage, but it's a great way to shortcut what's happening now if your customers are facing a specific problem. Now, again, it's not the one I'm advocating. I'm just saying it happens to be what's done. My views very much are that you should be experimenting. You should have a substantial portion of investment set aside for research and development, and it should be run through experimentation, trial you know, trialing, testing, learning, 
going through that process. Because that's where the real discoveries are made. That's where the real industry-level first solutions come from. So if you've got a customer segment and you want to satisfy th those customers' needs, address whatever problem that those customers are facing, you can get there through that brute force trial and error attempt. Now, again, I'm actually not saying that we need to spend 10,000 attempts. We definitely have some tools at our disposal now that, that Edison didn't have, right? Things like TRIZ, T-I-R-Z, the theory of inventive problem solving. Again, back to Gonrick Altschuler. Gonrick Altschuler, when he worked in the patent office, he looked at these patterns of solutions, a level five solution, a level five discovery. There's a pattern there to coming up with a solution to that type of problem. And we may not have to spend 10,000 attempts. We might be able to knock it out in 1,200 or 1,500 or even a few hundred. Granted, discoveries are going to take a lot of time. But when you go down level four, well, that, that should be something that's definitely well within our grasp within business. But the point is we have tools now that we can draw on. But even though those tools exist, and a lot of individuals understand the use of those tools, the application of those tools, and how to leverage those tools to greatly reduce the time it takes to generate a real solution, an industry-leading solution, very few organizations have the patience and time for it. I mean, for me to come out and say, well, yeah, I can solve your problem, but it's probably going to take me, who knows, maybe 12 months and maybe 800 attempts. Nobody wants to hear that. You know, 12 months, I think, is kind of the expectation now for getting solutions out the door and starting to get ROI coming back in. You know, it used to be kind of five years was acceptable. Even now, two years will get across the line. We want a two-year ROI. But if you spend 18 months just coming up with the solution to the problem, let alone implementing that solution and getting that solution to market, do you really think you're going to get an ROI in two years? Well, not if you're spending 18 months solving a problem. Of course not. But the, di the difference is when you come up with an industry-leading solution, you're buying time. You're buying a runway of revenue where your competitors are going to really struggle to replicate what you're doing. Eventually they will, obviously. Eventually they will. But those really tough-to-solve problems, you're buying yourself a lot of time and a lot of runway. So the question is to you, what's stick to to you within your organization? What's the number? Is it 10? Is it 20? How about your personal life? Something's wrong with your car. Something's wrong. You've got some fault in your house. You've got some challenge that your kids are facing in school. What's the number that you'll place on it to continue to work at solving that problem? A hundred times? A thousand times? Think about when a baby starts to learn to walk. Do we say, well, we're going to give you 25 attempts and then you're destined to crawl for, from here till eternity. You're going to be the crawler the mighty crawler. No, of course not. Attempt after attempt after attempt, a thousand attempts. 
10,000 attempts. It doesn't matter. You're going to keep attempting to walk until you walk. All right? That's the that's the destiny of the baby, assuming everything's, you know, physically okay and mentally okay. But but we don't put a number on that, do we? And and the point is we shouldn't put a number on that for anything that's worthwhile doing, for any problem that's worthwhile solving. It's not five attempts. Don't put a number on it. We just need to work to solve that problem. And we need to record what it is we're trying, how we're trying it, when we're trying it, where we're trying it. What do we think is going to happen? That's our hypothesis. And then we can, can we prove ourselves wrong? And we run experiment after experiment after experiment to get that. Keep innovating. We'll see you next time.